for those who have an exact time of times of exact I don't know what might find we're about a half a second early tonight and that's because we're adding tonight to this year in honor of our upcoming Yud Shvat which you mentioned this Shabbos Habalino the Teva Yud Shvat has many different connections to Hasidic Chabad worldwide. Also discussing an upcoming birthday. On Teshvat. For all those that have their birthdays on Teshvat, as we know many people as such, we'd like to wish them Mishnah Satzlacha, Bracha, Rikhasyam, Vishanim. As we also mentioned this Shabbos, of course, as we know, it's called, it's referred to as Shabbos Shira, Shabbos Shira, or Pashas Beshalach goes according to its name of the Shira, which is read on this Pasha. A brief, brief, on the, uh, one of the upcoming birthdays of this Friday of Tashvat, Kapitel Nun Zayin, the 57th chapter of Tehillim, which Dabar Melech says is a tefillah that he made in the cave as he was running from Shaul. And the prayer is the one that he should not be killed or that he should not kill. Nothing should happen to anybody. Dabar Melech was concerned, King David was concerned, everyone and anyone and therefore did not want anyone to be hurt. Ultimately, Dovna Melech cites Nochen Libi Alekim, Nochen Libi Ashira Vazameira, which of course also fits in to this week's Pasha, as we said, Shabashira. Correct my heart, God. Correct is my heart. I will sing and I will praise. And therefore, it's apropos also for this week's Parsha, the beginning of the chapter of 57, of 57 of Tehillim, of Perik Nun Zayin, as one completes 56 years one completes 56 years They begin to say the Perik to recite the fifty seventh chapter of Tehillim. That's not right. Um, I don't know how we keep losing people on Skype here for a change. Um, 
This week, as we said, it's Shabbos B'Shalach, and also is Yud Shvat. Let us begin with Yud Shvat, as we move on now from the birthday status. And we hope and anticipate that this will be a better year for all those that are having their birthday this weekend, this Friday. A better year, a year of Hatzlacha, of Bracha, a year of Shaduchim, of Nachas from the children. And the main thing is, of course, Shemali Hashem Kol Meshali Sebenu, Lebechan, the table of the Bracha that the Almighty should complete, fulfill all that their hearts request, all that their hearts desire, and that it should be within the heart, not from the mind, because a person's heart is of course emotion, which is connected to a different level of godliness, which ultimately translates to the proper channels and gives us the proper wishes that one wishes. Yud is the day of the passing of the previous Baba Chereba, Abyes of Yitzchak Schneerson. To us known as the Friedrich Rebbe, the sixth Chabad Rebbe, and as the sixth Chabad Rebbe, he was already known to be a prodigy as a child, as most Rebbeim were. And as a prodigy, as a child, many, many stories of such, he would study, he would cite Mishnayis by heart. He would learn a lot of Mishnayis by heart. And his father, Rebbe Rashab, would pay him for this. And he earned himself a substantial amount of money doing this. What does a little boy do with such amount of money, 60 ruble, whatever he had? He opened a gemach, a free loan fund. And he would loan money on market day especially to people who were going to buy wares in the market. And he would follow up the next week or whatever it was when the person sold their wares. He would be able to collect without interest, of course, interest-free, the loan. And the Yosef Yitzchak was very, very compassionate about this. There was one particular fellow that he really, really enjoyed, although it wasn't an intellectual enjoyment with this man, just playing the camaraderie type of enjoyment was a man that dealt basically with livestock. Chickens and this and that. And one day the fellow was walking in the marketplace, towards the marketplace, and Rabbi Yitzchak was in the marketplace already, looking for customers to loan money to. And he was walking with his hands full, with a cow and with a calf and with a with the chickens in a basket, and he had his hands full. And this policeman walked over to him, a Russian policeman, who everybody was petrified and intimidated by. And he punched him in the face. 
The man was shocked, didn't know what hit him. His Yitzchak saw this and was furious. And he started to scream at the policeman, get off him, leave him alone, and he jumped on him. Immediately the policeman went and ripped his own badge and screamed to the other police, hey, this little rascal here, he just tore my coat, he tore my badge, arrest him. And so little Yitzchak was arrested, was taken to the precinct, and they saw little Yingala, a little Jewish Yingala come into the prison. First thing the guard did was slap Machmalia across the face. And he pulled him by his ear and he slapped him into a cell. And he threw little Yitzhak Yitzhak, petrified and shaking and trembling, into this dark cell. To add insult to injury, Yitzhak Yitzhak heard a moaning sound. A muffled moaning sound from the dark corner. And he was petrified, he was too scared to go in there to investigate. Svitsog knew the first thing that he has to do in a place like this, in order to calm himself, to relax himself, to bring himself to tranquilize a little bit, was to begin to recite Mishnayis. And since, as we said before, he committed to memory a substantial amount, he immediately began to say the first chilek, the first section as there are six parts of Mishnayis, and he cited the entire Seder Zeroyim. Upon completion, he was now calm again, relaxed, and he remembered that he had a box of matches in his pocket that he was supposed to give somebody in the market. He took out a match, and he lit the match to see what's going on, what's the moaning. And he notices the moaning is a little calf tied up in a corner. And the calf is sitting there bound, gagged. And it's sitting in the corner. He doesn't make any mention. At least he's uh, happy it's not some derelict, some drunk. Short while later, as he started to recite the second section, Mayed, suddenly the guard appears, opens the gate, and he gives him his hand and he helps him up, and he begins to apologize. Because apparently, Yosef Yitzchak's uncle was a very well connected man. And when he came and said, My nephew's in jail, you better get him out, people were very, very scared. And intimidated. And so they immediately realized they were in trouble. They got the wrong kid here. They should not have started with this kid. And so the guard walked over and he said to Yosef Yitzchak, he says, please, don't mention the smack that I gave you as a mistake. I was angry at somebody else really and I apologized and apologized and apologized. And Yosef Yitzchak was let out. But as Yesivitzcha comes out, he's walking with his uncle, and he hears an accusation against the butcher, against the man with the livestock, that he stole the calf that he was carrying. And the judge checked into the records and found out there was a calf stolen.
Yitzchak heard this and immediately confronted his uncle and he said, the stolen calf is in that cell. And they went back and they found indeed the calf was in the cell and Yitzchak saved this Jew's life a second time. And his father rewarded him very well for the mysterious nefesh, for the self-sacrifice that he had as a little child, preparing He was 10, 11 years old. Standing up to these ruffians, to these police, to defend the fellow Jew, even if it meant putting his own life in danger. We, end, we embark this week, as we said before, Pasha B'Shalach. Hey, we bought that for you, actually, yes. We said many times, B'Shalach begins with the word Vayihi. Vayihi B'Shalach Pare. And we know, Chazal tell us, the word Vayihi is a Yiloshen of Tsar, of pain. Vahoya is a Yiloshen of Simcha. Vayihi is a lashon of Tsar. So it would be right to say about the Jews leaving Egypt, Vahaya, how happy an occasion it was, the Jews are leaving. Why does it say Vayihi, a lashon of pain? And the simple explanation, for those who haven't listened to the archives, is because B'Shalach Parayasam, the Jews did not want to leave Pare had to throw them out. B'shalach Pare, he was sending them. And this was a tsar, that the Jews, although they were told, and they were given the promise, <coughs> they were being taken to the Holy Land, they still needed Pare to literally evict them before they were ready to leave. The Jews leave Egypt, the Egyptians sent 600 horses to chase them, and of course the question becomes, where did they get 600 horses if all the Egyptians' food, the, the livestock was destroyed during the markets, etc., etc.? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. What's so early? The birthday's Friday. <laughs> I know, but I knew I couldn't come tomorrow, so. I do wish me happy birthday so fast. <laughs> we find the Jews are being chased by the 600 horses riders, the white chariots, etc. They get to the Yamsuf. They get to the Yamsuf and they're in a dilemma. And again, a Sikha that we've discussed many times the four camps that split up. There was one camp that said, We got to go back to Egypt. One camp said we have to go to war, one said go into the water. They were all confused. We find a very interesting conversation happens. Moshe, as the leader of the Jews, starts to pray. What does a leader, what does a person that cares for his fellow Jew do? He prays for him. The lotion of praying is crying out. Tzaka. And the Almighty turns to Moshe and he says to him, Vayem Hashem, Moshe, ma tizak elai. 
Why are you screaming? What are you praying now? Dabra ibn so tell the Jews, speak to them and tell them that you have to go. Move on. Rashi tells us, we learn from here that Moshe was standing there praying. Almighty said to him, This is not the time for you to stand and pray. She is The Jews are in a terrible situation. They're in a dilemma. Now the truth is, Moshe was praying. That's what he's supposed to do. He has to pray. The Jews were crying because that's what they felt felt like doing. <coughs> because they were in a pretty pickle here. The desert on both sides, the water on the other side, and the Egyptians from this side, and Mitzrayim's angel coming down on their heads. So they weren't happy either. So he prayed. What's wrong? You did anything wrong now? But what was the message God wanted to give him? To the Jews, just continue going. And then Almighty tells him, Raise up your staff, and spread your hand over the water, and the water will split. Why in that case, did the Almighty have to ask Moshe, Why did the Almighty have to tell Moshe, Stop davening? He wasn't doing anything wrong by davening. And if the message was, tell the Jews to keep moving, all the Almighty had to say was, okay, now tell the Jews keep moving. Why say it in a derogatory fashion, what are you davening for now? Now, although Moshe Rabbeinu's tefillahs are great, I mean, could you think of anybody else better to pray for you than Moshe Rabbeinu himself? But the Almighty said, right now, it's time to save the Jews. And if it's time to save a Jew, stop praying. To save a Jew, and you'll notice, I don't know, we have a, one of the people that unfortunately lost his father, and is in the year of his father, and he davens for the Ahmed. And <laughs> there are times where all of a sudden, in the middle of davening, he just books it right out, because his Atzala radio beeps, and when Atzal is calling, he just drops everything. He's the chazan. Just leaves everything and runs out. And I guess we learn this from here. That to save a Jew, a person needs to give himself over totally to that. He's praying, if he's learning, whatever it is. And therefore, the Almighty tells him, speak to the Jews, raise up your hand, raise up your staff. If he would have just told him to do so, and not tell him, stop praying, it would have lacked impact on what he was telling him. By telling him, stop praying first, you're doing a tremendous thing. You're praying, Moses is praying here. It's not an average bagel that picked up a siddha and started to pray. <laughs> the little boy that, that took a siddha and started to read. And he's reading Friday night. It's, his father went to shul. You know, some fathers on Friday nights tend to get lost in shul because they don't see their friends the whole week and it's Friday night. 
and they come to shul finally, and um, the little boy says, "Mommy, I want to pray. I want to daven." So, "Mommy, it's okay." She opens up to Kabbalah Shabbat, and the little boy just learning how to put together vowels, and he says the first word "le chu." The mother says that was beautiful. This is now the next word, "ne ra ne na." That is amazing. He says, am I reading right? She says, yes, you are. I'm saying, yeah, you read just like a perfect, you read perfectly. Child says, okay, good, now I can read like daddy. And he starts going, But here the prayers are talking about a Moshe Rabbeinu praying. And such a tefillah had to stop. When a Jew needs to save another Jew, this therefore the message is that, is it such? Not only is it allowed to stop praying, but he has a commandment, Ma Titzak Eli. What are you praying now? And this is what we learn in our daily service. If Moshe Rabbeinu was given such a, such a message, so much more so uh, our obligation in today's generation, not to just sit in our own corners, in our praying in our own four cubits, but rather to stand up and to look, and to reach out, how is it we can do a favor for a fellow Jew, what can we do to help another Jew, what can we do to get another Jew, through the hardships, the hard times, that they might be going through, how is it, and what is it we can do, we have to keep our eyes, and ears, and antennas up, to make sure we do it the right way. The Yams of Splits, the arms of splits. How much more can we ask for? It's exciting. It's dramatic. The water split, but it didn't just split. There was a wall, or according to the Medrash, there were tunnels. It was an amazing sight. Ask Ben Hur. Ben Hur, his name was. Yeah. I guess it was Ben Hur. Huh? That's before my time. What's the difference? The Ten Commandments. When they asked me to, someone told me once they had a kosher movie. Someone once said they had a kosher movie. They wanted me to come watch it. I said, what's the name of the movie? He said, the Ten Commandments. I said, that's okay. I read the book. I know the story. I'm fine with that. <coughs> the Jews went on the dry land. For those keeping score at home, Sechtes Chulin, 127, side A. Tractate Chulin, Page 127, Anything that is on land is in the water. Now, we don't see that really, because we don't go to aquariums all the time. And also, the reason we go for Tashlach by the water is because it's covered from the eyes of the person. People don't see it. So we see that the yam, the water, symbolizes the hidden, the secret. And the land, the dry land, symbolizes revelation, what's revealed, what is open. We have our own personal Kriyas Yamsuf, our own splitting of the Red Sea. 
We're again quoting now King David in Psalm 66, verse 6. He turned the yam into dry. Because also, concepts in yam, in water, things that are hidden, ultimately come to be revealed and turn to the concept of dry. The neshama, the Jewish soul of each and every Jew, is attached especially with God, at all times. But not only regularly, but when it comes to prayer, when a person is praying, they get awakened, they reach to a different level, they ascertain a connection with God, which is in a total different way. And this is something that everyone can recognize when a person is sitting and praying earnestly and they're looking and they're, pro- they're looking at each word and they're pronouncing the words properly and they're trying to find the translation to each word and how they connect with each word. They're connecting through prayer to God. You can see the person takes on a different dimension at that moment. After prayer... Again, the person remains connected, but you don't necessarily see it. Kriyas Yamsuf, splitting of the sea. This is something that a person needs to work on themselves. That same look, that same action, that same emotion that they have during prayer should be throughout their day. That they yam which is hidden, their own personal waters should be uncovered, should be revealed. That even after tefillah, when it's yabosha, even after prayers, when it's back on dry land, it should be recognizable that the person is connected to God. How do we connect to God? Now the truth is, we have a tremendous phenomenon again we mentioned many times as to us Yashir Moshe then Moshe sang what is the then? the then is after we read the words Vayaminu Ba'ashem over Moshe Avdo they believed in God and they believed in Moshe Moshe was told by God go down to Egypt and tell the Jews they're going to go out of time and he said they won't believe me. And the Almighty punished Moshe severely. Don't talk Lashon Hara. Don't talk evil about the Jew. How could you say they're not going to believe you? And a snake appeared, and then the, the hand turned white. All the things that the Almighty did to him. But more than anything else, he took a little edge of Moshe's prophecy away until Moshe will actually fully repent for this blasphemy of the Jewish nation saying they won't believe in me now the Torah tells us they believed in him and Moshe saw that they actually believe in him and Moshe now got to the level of repentance that he understood that the Jews believe in him Az Yashir Moshe, then Moshe was able to sing. Just before that, 
Not before. A man once came to Mendel of Kotsk and he asked him, he was a poor man and he needed to marry off a child. He married off a daughter. And he came to the Kotska and he says, I'm in trouble, I have no money. So he told him that the Yitzchak Meir of Ger, the Ger had a brother, Meshachayim Rothenberg, a very wealthy man. Go to him, I'll give you a letter, and he'll help you with the wedding. No. How much more do you need? A letter from the Kotzke to take to a, to a wealthy man? He said, it's all good. The journey was arduous. It was horrific. Town to town to town till he finally reaches the man. And he comes to the Meshachayim and Meshachayim greets him. I have a message from you from the Kotzke. He says, sure. And he gives him the letter and Meshachayim reads the letter once, twice. He reaches into his pocket and he takes out one or two ruble and he says, here, Mazel Tov. The man looks at this small little donation and, and, and he's shocked. And, and he tries to eloquently polish his words. Do you realize I got a letter from the Kutzka? Do you realize the Kutzka didn't mean just to give me a little... And do you realize how much more it cost me to get here than you just gave me? I, I mean, seriously. But no matter how much the guy wanted and pleaded and begged, he said, Neto, I'm sorry, you're not getting anything else. This guy was shattered. He's traveling days on end in a great spirit, knowing that, ah, the light is not only at the end of the tunnel, the light is in front of him. And he's going to have everything he needs for the wedding. And here this guy gives him a handful of nobles. He walked out totally dejected and disappointed. In the interim, the, the Meshachayim ran and he immediately purchased furniture and clothing, everything that a Hassan Kala could possibly need to set up home. And he got wagons full and he got to hire the wagons and the horses and he prepared a substantial amount of money as well. And he got onto his horse and he started to lead all these wagons. Now this poor man, unfortunately, was not riding in a wagon. He didn't even have a horse. He was going by foot. So it didn't take long for him to catch up with him. So he caught up with him. And he says, Rabid, here you go. The wedding is here. The guy was shocked. He was amazed. He was dazed. He was perplexed. He was bewildered. He was befuddled. He says, I, I, I don't understand. If you were going to give me this, why did you make me feel like garbage before? So I'll tell you the truth. You came here with a letter from the Kotzke in your pocket. And you felt that this letter is going to buy you everything you need. 
And you thought that not only the Kotzka, but I am the man that's going to give you carte blanche because you have this letter. You left out one little source that the money really has to come from and who you really have to ask for and who you have to really rely on. And that's God. And you have to pray. And when you walked out of me, broken and shattered, you obviously turned to the partner that you needed to go to. And now you feel this were heard. The Baron Kalina and the Solarusian were Mukhatanim. They had a Shidduch together. The Baron Kalina said that the Ruzhina once told him a story. There were two men that lived in neighboring villages. They knew each other. One of them believed in Sadiqim and the wife didn't. And the other couple was the opposite. He didn't believe and she believed. No. The guy whose wife believed and he didn't. Sorry, that he believed his wife didn't fell very ill and he needed a Yeshua the doctors were not able to do anything for him he's lying on his bed can't do anything I wish he says somebody would go to the Rebbe for me to go to the Helikarushan to get me a bracha his wife did not believe in these things, but she saw she had no choice. The man is never lying there. How could she just do this to him? She agreed to go. She got her horse and wagon and started to go. On the way, she came through the next town, where the woman that believed and the husband didn't. And this man had lost every penny he had. And he had to pay the landowner. And if he wouldn't pay the landowner soon... They were going to evict him. And he was in pretty dire straits. He didn't know what to do. So his wife said, I'll go to the Rebbe. And he said, what's the Rebbe going to help? She says, listen, the Rebbe always helps. So the other lady came by and she says, I'm going to the Rujna. He says, I'll go also, she says, and the two women go together. He came to the Rujna. Now the tradition is, you go to the Gabai, and the Gabai writes you a note. You tell him what your problem is. He writes the note, and you give the note to the Rebbe. You don't have to talk. Similar to what we do today, we write the pan, and we give the pan to the, we take the pan to the ale, or to wherever you want to put it. No. He writes a pan, for the lady whose husband's ill, and he writes a pan for the lady whose husband needs money, and he puts them down on the table to take them, and each lady reaches out to take a letter, and didn't read the letter first, and they confused letters. And the one with the, the innkeeper, who needed to pay the, the, the leaseholder, had the letter that her husband was sick, and the one with the, the sick husband had the letter that her husband needed money. 
first one came in, she needed money, that said that she needed money for her husband. The Rebbe read the letter. He gave a bracha, everything will be fine. So she knew that her husband would have her a full shalema. The other one, the leaseholder, came in with a letter that her husband was sick. So the Rebbe said you should take bankis, the leeches and the hot cups, and you should put it on them all over. <laughs> Needless to say, the two wives come home, and the non-believer, the leaseholder, <laughs> gets a message from the... He says, what did the Rebbe tell you? She says, the Rebbe told me to put le- leeches on you. He says, what do I need leeches for? Are you crazy? I'm a healthy man. Where am I going to make money from that? Anyway, time was going closer and closer to the deadline, and he saw that his money was not coming in. The last day before he had to give the money, he says, this is what the Rebbe said. Maybe the Rebbe knows what he's talking about. And he put on the leeches and the cups and everything, and he was bleeding from all sides. Because it draws out blood. No. The men come to collect the money, and they see this guy laying on the bed, Ashmata. Bleeding from all sides, and torn out, and... Vastutman. <laughs> You can't, you can't force them anything. You can't talk to them even. They come running back to the leaseholder and they tell him the story. He's that. He's faking. Bring him here with the bed. And they bring him with the bed and this guy, he's, he's never bad straits. So the wife says, what happened to you? He says, I'll be honest, I knew I had to pay this amount of money. I went for friends and this and that. I went door to door borrowing money. And I borrowed the money, and I had the money. I was walking home, it was very late at night, and a bunch of hooligans jumped me, they stole the money, they beat the snot out of me, and here I am, broken with no money. Oi, she says, what a terrible story, how horrific. That's terrible. He says, thank God I'm alive. She was so touched, she says to her husband, look, Peter, it's not right. He got beaten up because of us. Because he went to get money for us. It's terrible. We'll wipe out the debt. And not only that, we'll pay for his doctor bills. And even more so, because he already borrowed so much money, now he's in debt and in hack over his years. For three years he doesn't have to pay rent. So if he doesn't pay rent for three years, maybe he'll be able to pay back all his rent. So the Rujna said, or the Karlina said, that the Rujna told him, believe me, Mechutin, when that woman stood there and said the husband needed to pay the lease, I had no way of taking from heaven any kind of help. She herself, because she had belief that a tzaddik can give her a bracha, only she herself was able to bring about this blessing.
we look back, let's go back to the actual prayers. Vayitz'aku b'nei Yisrael Hashem, the Jews cried out to God. And Rashi tells us, Tafsei umnez avesam. They grabbed, they grasped the expertise of their forefathers. What kind of expertise? Expertise is something that a person does on a constant basis. They live in this way, this is the way they work, this is the way they do things. Where do we see the forefathers constantly screaming at God? That it should be labeled, this is their expertise, this is what they're famous for. Again, reverting to the power of prayer. The word tefillah is a request. A person requests from God to fulfill their request. So generally, a prayer is to help a person out. A person needs to be helped out of a certain situation. And therefore, through the prayer, the person is helped with physically, spiritually, whatever they need to be helped with. But the truth is, that's not how prayer is all about. The Rambam writes, as we now come to the Siyama Rambam, the mitzvah say, the positive commandment of prayer, is to serve God each day with prayer. It's not to request, but to serve. It's his way of serving God. Through prayer, a person becomes closer to God, as we said before, and therefore the fact that the Jews called out, like their forefathers, yes, this was the job that their forefathers were famous for, for connecting, for reaching out, and for involving themselves constantly with being together, being one with God. We have a shocking, we have a shocking revelation here. The water, morning time, returns to the way it originally was. Now the truth is, for those who have ever experimented with water, if you put a blockade on flowing water, it builds up tension. And ultimately when it breaks through, it comes through with a lot more pressure than it was originally running. But here it returned to a regular stable. So Rashi says, wait a minute, I'll tell you what, excuse me, Rashi does not say, the Medrash tells us, that the word Le'esonoi has, can be rearranged a different word. To the word Le'etonoi, to its condition. A condition that was made to begin with, with the Yam. 
the water had had a condition with God, and God said, if you promise me that you will split for the Jews when you need to, I'll create you. If you won't, you will be as if you never existed. Your existence, your creation will cease. Let's call a spade a spade. <laughs> Sadie and Selma were in the car. Sadie's driving, going through all the red lights. And Selma says, uh, Sadie, uh, Sadie, uh, you're going to get us killed over here. This is how am I going to get us killed? You're going through all the red lights. And she says, uh, I'm driving. <laughs> now, we know who's driving. God is driving. God had to take a stipulation. He had to make a condition that if you split, good. If not, <laughs> come on. God wants the water to split, it splits. God wants the water to dry up, it dries up. Whatever God wants to happen to the world happens. It's not something that... God wants the world to look like His nature. God created a world with a natural feeling. Therefore we have a thought. A thought process. That things actually happen because we do it. They have results of actions that we take. Every action is a reaction. Water flows down and fire rises up. Ask anyone in science. You don't see fire going down. You don't see water flowing up. But if you do, you're drinking the wrong stuff. Or smoking the wrong stuff. So, God wants the world to look like this nature running its course. But in essence, God runs everything. So bottom line, if God wants the water to split, God will make the water split when it has to split. There are times, though, that God alters nature, as we see over here, and this is referred to as a miracle. An alteration of nature becomes a miracle. There's so many obvious things that happen that we take for granted. Who refers to it as a miracle? Step one, waking up in the morning. (laughs) We wake up, and the fact that we woke up in the morning is a miracle. We have to say, Maida'ani. No, the fact you get out of bed is something totally different. It's not a miracle. That's called the opposite of gravity. Um, you have those people that say that gravity works the strongest in the morning in their bed. That's when the gravity pull is the strongest. Terrific, yes. Especially when you look at your watch, and you got to get to the mikveh and the shul. Oh, forget about it. Gravity's working so hard that it stops the watch. Hmm. It's just... Uh, it's like you have ropes and rocks around your neck. It's mom's going The Jews, the world was created, the Chazal tell us. And Rashi brings it down, the beginning of Bereshis. The word Bereshis is Bez Bereshis. The world was created Bishvil Yisrael for the Jews Shenikro Rashis. The Jews are referred to as Rashis. So therefore the laws of nature were created for the Jews. 
in that in mind, without taking out this condition to begin with, it was not the fact, the condition you split, you don't split. It was, the fact was, if you don't understand that your creation is for the Jews, if you're not going to understand to begin with that you're going to have to work and split for the Jews, that you first have to stay in their, get in their way so they pray and then split for them, that's what the problem was. That's what the condition had to be. That the water had to know that it had to break its nature and split for the Jews. But by the Almighty making a condition that if the water won't split, then the water will become revert to the way it was before creation. Then the nature of the water became such that it splits naturally. And when Yaakov had to cross the Yardin, the water split naturally. And when the Eden split across the opposite, it split naturally. In Yeshua, it splits naturally. And therefore the natural... The only difference here was by Kriyas Yamsuf that all waters in the world split at the same time. So that the entire world should know a person drinking a cup had his water split in the middle of the cup. What is Koshik and Kriyas Yamsuf? Because it's against nature. You just said that it made it It had to be made again. The condition had to be made in order that the nature should be altered. But it's an alteration of nature. To alter nature, you take about you, you need it's, it's it's tremendous. Only God therefore had to make a condition to begin with the beginning of creating the world. <laughs> we find two wars in the, our parsha. <laughs> One parsha in the Torah. Two battles. We have the Egyptians come to attack the Jews. And then at the end of the Pasha, we have the Amalek that come to attack the Jews. Couldn't you put this in two different Pashas? Two wars in one Pasha. Well, let's look at the reaction. What's our message by the war? When it comes to the war of the Egyptians... God says, Hashem yilachem lachem, v'atem tacharishun. God will stage war, and you stay quiet. Now, there are those that say, that this Pasuk refers to Shul. When you're sitting in Shul, and you have a, a fight with your Yetzirah, do I talk to my friend next to me? Or do I sit in Davin, so the message is, Hashem Yelachim Lachem. God will fight your battle here for you. Ratam Tacharishin, you sit quiet and sure. Don't talk. Um, I told you once that uh, there was an issue. The guy came and says that uh, he went here, got stuck. He apologized a million times. He had to go to a conservative shul for a bar mitzvah. 
And he says, he says to me, he says, I got to tell you, we're doing something wrong. I said, what do you mean? So I came to conservative shul, it was shah. It was quiet, like a, a pin drop. The whole service, quiet. This is by us. <laughs> it's a chicken market. You don't know the chazan's davening, or the bakaris laning, or you don't know what's coming or going, all of a sudden you see something, other people walking out, oh, they must have finished. He says, what are we doing wrong? It's all very simple. Who just sit with me? Conservative shul. Who I sit with? My wife. I said, ah. With your wife, you're going to sit and talk. You're going to sit and fight in front of everybody in the shul. You sit quietly. You're not to say that. You come to shul here. You got all your friends. You didn't see them a whole week. There's business to talk about. There's, there's sports to talk about. There's, there's things happening. You got to catch up on the last time. So obviously, you're going to be talking over here. 411. 411. Nikvanaz. <laughs> when it comes though, at the end of the Pasha, and the Pasha says about the war with the Amalek, God says, Tell Yeshua, say, He lochem ba Amalek. Go out and fight. Yo. What happens to the, I like the other attitude better. Hashem, you lochem lochem. But God is going to fight for me. Why are, you, why are you bombing me now with a war? The truth is, a Jew is not a, not a warrior. Jews are not fighters. We know the blessing is Hakol Kol Yaakov, Vayedayim The voice is the voice of Jacob. Jews have to sit and pray. They don't go fighting. If you have an issue with a fellow Jew, you pray that they do tshuva. And you feel that they do better, they become better, that you become better, and everybody gets better. You don't go butting heads and killing the Jew. Esav goes to war. And therefore, when it comes to the war against Egypt, va'atim tacharishim. Because you're not Warriors, you're not battle, you're not soldiers. When it comes to a Molek, it's a different type of battle. The Jews are now after Yamsuf, and they were heading to Matantera. They were heading to Sinai. They were going to get the Torah. And for this, a Molek came to fight to cool off the Jews. We had a bunch of Amalekites this week. Um, on Monday morning in the mikveh, because by the time I got there, quarter to six, ten to six, the water was ice cold. They were cooling off the water very, very severely. <laughs> Rashi, there's a problem with the electric. So the electric didn't heat the water. Don't ask. It's okay. Today the problem with the electric was there was no lights. Yeah. Um, they have the emergency lights on, so you didn't put on somebody else's shoes. Um, comes to Amalek, Amalek wanted to hold the Jews back from doing what they belong doing. Amalek didn't want the Jews to continue the path that they were riding. They wanted to cool off the Jews. The Jews were a very hot commodity, and they wanted to cool them down. When we see that there's something that's holding back from learning Torah, holding back 
from davening, holding back from doing mitzvahs, we don't make any cheshbon. Am I a soldier? Am I not a soldier? Do I know the technique? Do I know, not know the technique? The person needs to go out and fight and do everything in their power to overcome this, to take away this obstruction and not to allow it to stop us. On Yud Shvat, Tavshin Yud Aleph, the Rebbe took on the mantle of the Nasiyas of Chabad. And the Rebbe said clearly, Yes, I'm the Rebbe. No, I am not doing everything for you. You need to do the things on your own. I can guide, I can inspire, I can give you teachings and give you learnings, but I am not doing it for you. You need to do this for yourself. Similarly, the service, the, the devotion of bringing Mashiach, one needs to do it, everyone needs to chip in. And we see from Moshe when it came to the construction of the tabernacle, Moshe did not say, I'm doing it, it's all on me. He could have done it himself, but he didn't. What does Moshe do? He seeks to involve each and every Jew. He reaches out to everybody, and he offers. Everyone had to bring. They brought gold, they brought silver, they brought copper. Whatever you could, you brought this says the Rebbe is the service is the way a Rebbe connects with Hasidim and the way a Rebbe connects with Hasidim it therefore does not have any way of severing the Rebbe and his Hasidim and the Rebbe doesn't just take on people that come to him and say I want to be your Hasid I want to be a follower and therefore only those people the Rebbe blesses only those people the Rebbe prays for but rather the Rebbe is the Rebbe of Kal Yisrael, the leader of the generation, and therefore he does not leave us in the dark, he does not leave us in the lurch. A very awkward story I had this last week, I didn't tell it last week even. A fellow came here, he wanted to write a letter to the Rebbe. So I told him, I said, you don't read Hebrew, obviously, but there are many books in English with letters that the Rebbe wrote. You can take one of those books, and you can write, and you can put it in. And he said, no, I want to do it through you. Why he pulled me out of the hat, I don't know. He wants to do it through me. He wrote a letter, he gave me the letter, I put it in an Ignis. And the Rebbe writes in the letter, I received your letter from Rabbi Hecht. Uh-huh. Yes, clear, open. And I started to cry. And I, was, I had to read it to him. And I started to cry. I couldn't, I was shaking from this. But if this is, was my, my tafki, that was my situation that I had to be in to help this fellow Jew and to do it in such a way. And even if the Rebbe says that clearly, a letter that was obviously written 50 plus years ago. And here the letter is the exact letter we opened up to, saying that I received the letter through Rabbi Hecht, showing that the Rebbe does not forsake. I'm not propagating here that if you want in the future letters, please send it through me. I don't want to do that again. I will go with you, anyone who wants to go to the Ayl. We're going tomorrow night, actually, to the Ayl, in honor of the people's birthdays for Teshvat. We're going to the Ayl tomorrow evening. Anyone who wants to meet us there at 8.30...
we'd love to have you join us there. Hopefully we'll be able to say the Chayim together. Hot and chocolate and cookies. Huh? Hot, hot chocolate and cookies. Hot chocolate and cookies, yes. <laughs> but the main thing is that we should have this Shabbos again, this Kalos, once again, as the Rebbe accepts his mantle, accepts his Nasiyas, he should do it physically, and the Rebbe should see to it, take us out of Golos, and in the schus of all the people, those birthdays, in the schus of Yud Shvat, of the Yad Sai, the schus of the Yal Shvat, of the first Maimah that we hear from the Rebbe, we should go to Yerushalayim, Yerakadish, and especially, as we mentioned before, that we are finishing now the cycle again for three Prokim of Rambam, once again, this week is finishing the cycle. Tomorrow night is the Siyam Rambam, the 32nd year, and which is which is about to be a lave, which we should take to the heart, and we should there starting to the 32nd cycle, and it should be Kamayim, Mayom, Mechasim, as the Rambam finishes off, that the waters recovering, we should see redemption. A personal redemption, private redemption, and general redemption. Call yourself this very Shabbos Shabbat Shalom to all.